Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Ad Ramus Bulletin. In this episode, I speak with Father Anthony Steppel, who is a priest of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas, and serves as the Vice Rector of St. Patrick's Seminary and University in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. He recently wrote an article for Ad Ramus titled Confession 101, A Glimpse into How Seminarians Are Trained for the Sacrament of Penance. And wow, this is such a great conversation. And as you'll hear me say in the interview, this answers questions that I never knew I had about penance. So without further ado, another Otteramus interview. Hello, Father. How are you doing? Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for taking time to speak a little more about your article in Otteramus Bulletin. My pleasure. Happy to be with everyone. Well, I was very fascinated by this article because... Um, a lot of times, you know, I go to confession and I just assume the priest hearing my confession is well formed and all of this. But I guess I just never stopped to think about what that process was like. So I really enjoyed this because it answered questions that I didn't know that I had about uh, the formation of a confessor. So um, can, can you just give me a, a little bit of foundation um, about the importance and maybe when this formation happens in the, in the seminary life? Sure. Of course, the, the preparation to be a good confessor isn't something that just immediately begins at seminary, but it's, it's part of the whole life formation process that takes on a punctuated intentionality with ordination to priesthood. So uh, ideally, the man understands from the first moment that he arrives at seminary how all of the material that he's learning, whether it's in class, where homilies at mass, um, spiritual reading, whatever, everything leads to information that is going to be helpful for him when it comes to being a good parish priest, one of those things being to hearing, hearing confessions. So there's, there's all of that in a general sense. Then when it comes to the particulars, uh, you know, as this is laid out in, in the article, um, you know, there will be classes, for example, on canon law or moral theology that are speaking about things in a general way uh, that, that seminarians will eventually use as priests when they hear confessions. And then most seminaries have somewhere in their curriculum a specific class along with practicums related exclusively to the sacrament of confession and all that 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 is a part of it what what makes a good confessor because you know i've heard people say what makes a good homilist is a really good understanding of scripture so is a good confessor somebody who has a really good understanding of mercy and forgiveness is is that are those two related in that way sure you know at the foundational level of the, a good confessor is going to act in the person of jesus christ that he has not just assimilated everything that Christ and his church teaches us, but his personal relationship with Christ is so uh, woven into his own being that when penitents encounter the priest, they think, they feel, they experience an encounter with Jesus Christ. So that is not to discount 
study of sacred scripture or the fathers or St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, even, you know, perhaps even the study of rhetoric on, on a more profane level. Um, but it, it, it's all of those things brought together and manifested in the way, in the way that Christ would do it. Uh, it's literally, as St. Paul would say, putting on the mind of Christ. Uh, as, as we hear things being said in the confessional, okay, how, how would Christ respond? And thus that becomes the, the target for which the confessor strives to hit uh, using his, his own, uh, being the, his own inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if you will, through, through the words of his mouth. In terms of providing real world examples of things they might hear, because when you're behind a screen, I think people are going to be a little more open about some of the things or issues that they have than maybe just kind of a, a general meeting with a pastor. So they, they might hear some things they never thought they would hear. So how do you prepare for something that is almost impossible to prepare for? Cause you don't, it's an, such an unknown. Sure. At the same time, um, you know, if, if it's written about in books, it's because, um, you know, human beings are capable of doing these types of things. Uh, so, you know, as, as we do this interview right now in the midst of the Ukraine-Russia war, you know, if things, are, you know, atrocities take place. And, you know, we, we can't be surprised if people subsequent to that come along and say, these are things that I've done. Um, you know, so to, to that extent, um, the, the reason the church preaches about the sanctity of life and the Evangelium Vitae says, you know, speaks about abortion, contraception, euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide is because these things do take place. And so, um, you know, we can speak about these things in a general manner that, you know, if, if someone were to come to you in the sacrament of confession and say, this is what I did. Um, and I asked for pardon and forgiveness. Okay, well, how would Jesus respond to that? And then uh, what, what some fathers, theologians, and spiritual writers have put down, you know, perhaps this is helpful in us forming an answer that, that Christ through his Holy Spirit illuminates us in that particular moment. So, um, you know, to, to a certain extent, the priest should not be surprised about hearing anything in, in the sacrament of confession. Certainly some sins are repeated more frequently, but um, human nature is fallen. Uh, and so given, given that fact, um, you know, there's for the confessor, just kind of an expectation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but what's greater, of course, is the mercy of God uh, that upon seeing a contrite heart can overcome that. Mm -hmm. You talk in your article about how you might be nervous, you know, going to confession, either it's your first time or there's something in particular that you're very nervous about. But mm -hmm. you mentioned that these priests 
might have a similar amount of nervousness hearing a confession for the first time from both your personal experience and your experience dealing with recently ordained um, priests. Is, is this something that are, maybe are they more nervous about this part of their priesthood than maybe the Holy Mass or some other periphery parts? Yes, absolutely. Because with Holy Mass, for example, they can practice that over and over and over, you know, doing dry masses and they can get very good, if you will, at doing the externals of mass. The same for preaching, uh, you know, a, a funeral, a matrimony, a, a an anointing of the sick. They, they can practice all of these things ahead of time. Uh, they can learn, you know, basic strategies of managing a parish, financials, whatever that might be. But when it comes to confession, there's really no substitute than being in the confessional. And, you know, uh, we don't allow just anyone in the confessional. And so to, to you know, it's, it, it's just a thing that, okay, we can prepare seminarians as much as possible, but we can't give them, um, you know, exact, exact replicas of that experience um, being in the confessional. Uh, and so literally the first time that they do it, it's for real. And, and so, yes, there, there are some nerves that uh, need to be calmed with that, but, you know, with, with time and practice and then having good priest mentors that and newly ordained priests can say, hey, this happened to me in confession, um, you know, not naming the person you know, probably not even getting specific about the sin. Here's how I handled it. How would you have done that? Then, you know, we, there can be an ever greater honing uh, that takes place in, in the mind of the priest with regards to how Christ would handle that penitent. Father, anybody who knows me knows that I wrestle with this thought process in my head <laughs> daily, it seems. But there's this balance between mercy and self-discipline, right? In one way, mm -hmm. you can't just say, hey, I'm, I'm a terrible person. I'm, sin I'm a sinner. I'm just going to give it all up to the Lord's mercy and accept his mercy. And, and in some ways, yes, we need the Lord's mercy. But in other ways, we, needs to have, we need to have self-discipline so that we can continue to grow and get better. And any extreme or imbalance there can lead to problems in our spiritual life. So as you're training these young men to be confessors, how do we use that? How do we get balance? in the confessional so that we're not overly disciplinarian or like overly, Hey, everything's okay. Don't worry about it. You don't have to worry, <laughs> worry about getting better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So as, as, you know, as, as is part of the Catholic tradition, you use the word balance, uh, but virtue lies in the middle. And so constantly, whatever the sin, whatever the vice that is, is being brought forward, whatever this wound is that, Father, this is where I'm seeking healing, okay? This is the virtue that is medicine. Um, and, and, you know, this, that only comes from a deep and profound study of virtues and vices and the understanding of the application of, of the virtue in the life of this particular person given his circumstances. 
uh, and, and what that looks like. Furthermore, um, you know, a, a type of gradualism, you know, to, to a certain extent, tolerating a, a little bit, if you will, of here's where there's some shortcomings, if you will, but, you know, here is the path upon which we're striving to reach. And so, um, all right, here's where you are. This is where progress may have been made. And so keep going. You're, you're, you're moving in the right direction. This is what we need to have happen. Helping the people to have uh, that perspective, the, the broader framework, if you will, not just, you know, perhaps what has taken place at a particular instant, but, you know, keep, keep seeing the, the wholeness and the totality of spiritual growth that has taken place over time and can and, continue to take place. Yeah. And sometimes that can be really hard. You can be super myopic about it and just say, uh, I keep doing the same thing. You know, there's no growth here, but I, you know, I think if we can, well, we can't fully understand God's mercy, you know, to the full degree, but I think if we can get some of that in our head, I think that would help. Um, my, my last question here is, I think a lot of us lay people don't necessarily understand where the penance comes from. You know, are, are these prescribed things that the church recommends for certain sins or how does that work out? And, and how do you explain that to these, these young men who will be ordained? Yeah, this is a good question. Uh, concretely, it is left to the penitent, excuse me, to the, the confessor as the judge to place upon the penitent some sort of penance. Uh, and so that's why penances can vary from one priest to the next. Um, in, in previous times, manuals were written. We called them manuals. It's just a, a type of book that kind of laid everything out. If a penitent confesses this, here's a, a penance that seems, you know, kind of, if you will, uh, equivalent, if you will, to, to the sin. Um, we've moved away from that because, you know, it, priests then became more robotic uh, in, in how they would hear confessions, how they would approach the sacrament of confession. And that's, that's not what we don't want robots. We want Jesus Christ. So then we have examples in history, um, you know, the, the greatest of parish priests, our patron, St. John Vianney, who said uh, to a penitent, uh, the, he gave the penitent a, a penance. The, the penitent laughed and said, that's it. And St. John Vianney said to the penitent, well, your, your penance is actually much larger, but I'm going to do the part that I don't think you can do. Uh, and so this, this becomes part of a parished priest's spirituality that, you know, okay, maybe, maybe I'm going to give this particular penitent a light penance, but that means, you know, hey, if, if particularly if a grave sin was done, I need to be the one that's doing penance for my parishioners. All of this ties together with the message of Our Lady of Fatima. And so, you know, in a very particular and poignant way, the parish priest lives that out for the flock entrusted to his care. So, of course, we want any penance that the penitent and any penance that we place upon the penitent to be something that the penitent can actually do. Uh, that, that may seem obvious, but we've all had experiences where uh, we've received a penance that that wasn't the case. It 
it's it's you know may seem impossible to a certain level and so um you know here's this person this person's state in life where this person is here's something you can do okay and whether the priest tells the penitent or not he can take on the rest of the penance that that uh you know would, would be uh, more worthy if you will for that type of confession I love that because as, as you and I both know, and our listeners know, that's the exact same thing that Christ did for us. There was nothing yes. that we could do to really make up for that, for that original sin. And Indeed. so, so he needed to do that for us and to see that in a confessor, that would be a truly amazing thing. So, Absolutely. Uh, so thank you so much for, for this wonderful, insightful article and if you want to read the full article uh, by Father Anthony, you can go to adoramus.org. Father, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, and God bless all of you.